Again to badquaker.com podcast. Today is Monday, November 5th, 2012, and this is podcast number 224, and my name is Ben Stone. Um, and, you know, it's one day until the big election day in the U.S., and I know I've talked way too much about elections, and I've talked way too much about voting and all that, but I, I'm... I, can't help i have to apologize i have to cover this one more time before the election and i'm hopefully going to give you something to hear that you haven't heard before uh either by me or by anybody else i hope to be able to do that that's my intent now before i do i want to mention a couple things we do have the forum up and running and it's growing almost every day there's more and more people coming in over there we have uh, given away our, our allotment of t-shirts for the, uh, for the, uh, giveaways that we had going on. But we're in discussions with survival gear bags about, uh, about an upcoming contest. So I'll, I'll give you more about that as Kelly and I work out the details on it. Um, now also, uh, so, so my point there being, uh, get over and visit the forum. Go to badquaker.com, look on the right hand side up in the top. Uh, and you'll see the button for the forum. Go take a look at the forum. You can see mo a good portion of it without even logging in or anything. If you create a uh, a identity, you can log in, you can interact, and you can support BadQuaker.com by just going there and interacting on the forum. And plus, you know, other people get to learn things. If if you if you chat, if you talk, if you express your opinion. Other people get to learn from that, and it becomes a very productive thing. And it's a good way to learn from other people too. Right now, um, there's a um, there's an atheist section, and there's a uh, express your faith section, and there's a real good uh, conversation going on in the atheist section right now. Uh, I need to uh, go over there with some some more some recent comments since the last time that I uh, really spent any time on it, and I need to go back and read uh, the latest thing was there. I glanced at it and I thought, oh wow. I need to really spend some time on this because it's, it's some real thought-provoking stuff. So I, I really want to encourage you, get over there to badquaker.com, hit that button for the form, go to the form, and check it out. And uh, I can't remember now if you can see that section without logging in or not, but, um, but it's definitely worth looking at. Now, uh, I've been making excuses uh, that w why I haven't got the reading list the reading list up yet. So I, I'm working on that. I'll get a I'll get a, a spot up on the forum with the reading list um, as quickly as I can. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of irons in the fire at present. Okay, so enough for my commercial for the forum. Um, I wanted to mention real briefly something that I saw that just cracked me up last night. Uh, the TV was muted, 
and uh, you know, it was just running, but it was muted, as we often do around here, with you know, just so that we don't have to listen to commercials. And I caught out of the corner of my eye something that uh, that I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, and so I backed the, you know, we have that thing where you can back up the TV. So I backed the TV up, took the mute off, and listened to the commercial. And it was a commercial for letsmove.gov. Uh, of course, you know, um, a government-backed public service announcement or whatever they want to call it. You know, theft, but it's what it, how, however they want to uh, make their excuses. Let's move.gov was this commercial. And the commercial was encouraging parents to figure out inventive ways to get their kids to exercise. You know, uh they want to they want to keep us eating massive amounts of carbohydrates and lots of sugar and not even sugar for, you know high fructose corn syrup they want us uh, consuming that in in large quantities cuz that's what's subsidized by the government but then they want to they want parents to come up with uh, with unique and interesting new ways to get your kids to exercise so in this commercial for letsmove.gov the mother in the commercial was um, was lying to her daughter to get her daughter to run up and down the stairs looking for this one particular item when the mother had the item right beside her on the counter the whole time. You see, it's a really good example of government and what government is good for. Uh, teaching parents that the best way that you can teach your children something is to deceive them and lie to them, trick them into doing what you want them to do. That's uh, that that says a lot. That that government, that aspects of the government would come on TV and attempt to teach parents to use deceptive means to get their children to do things. Don't be honest with your children. Don't encourage them in any kind of a honest fashion, but trick them, lie to them, deceive them. Hmm. So. That's exactly uh, what you would expect from a government, isn't it? Now, um, okay, so I'm done with that. I won't. I won't labor that issue. That was just something that I, I saw, and I was. It was just so funny and so disgusting at the same time. Okay, so now in uh, last Friday's, uh, in last Friday's podcast, I pulled what might be considered a cheap theatrical stunt. I had a lot of fun doing it, and, and I hope you enjoyed it. But it was the thing where I put in the, um, you know, the rowing and the and the drum beating and and all that. I thought, well, you know, technically, yeah, it is a cheap theatrical stunt, but uh, but I really liked it. I really I, I I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed putting it on there. Uh, I do have a cheap theatrical stunt for you today, but it's not as good maybe as the one Friday. But I, I I'm saying that because you know I can't keep producing these cheap theatrical stunts. I'm just not that inventive, but uh, but you'll see it when we get to it. So um, so today, what I really want to talk about, uh, there were two really good articles at lourockwell.com, and uh, I, I want to be careful with this podcast because I could easily, um, you know, I could easily just do a podcast every day just by reading stuff at lourockwell.com, lourockwell.com. Dot com is by far, you know, the most popular libertarian website in the world. It's it's um, it's got all these things going for it. It has great writers and and uh, you know you can say all all kinds of good things about it. But uh, it really wouldn't be fair of me if I just went over there every day, read a couple articles, and then came on here and talked about it. I mean, you know, you could just go read it for yourself. You wouldn't need me. 
So, uh, so I, I don't want to make a habit of doing that, but I did want, because today is the day before election day in the U S and because there's so much influence and so much, uh, intimidation on people in America to vote. I'm, I've said this before. I'm here in Ohio, which is a swing state. It, it, it's one of the places where the actual decision is made as to who becomes the next president. Like if that mattered. But uh, but so living in Ohio, you just get bombarded with uh, with advertisements from every direction in the mail, on a TV, on a radio, and all you know billboard signs everywhere. It's just a nonstop um, pounding of all this status garbage into your face, and it's really really sickening. And so we, in in our you know in the bad Quaker household here, we almost celebrate the day after. Um, after election, because uh, you know we can we can actually like look around and not be hit in the face with all this nonsense. So uh, so it being the day before election, and there being two really standout good articles at LouRockwell.com right on this topic, uh, I really felt it necessary to talk about it a little bit more today, and then maybe you know tomorrow after it's after the election is done, maybe I can just stop thinking about this silly nonsense of voting. So, um, so at Lou Rockwell, there were two articles, one by Lawrence Vance and the other by a guy I'm not so familiar with. Uh, it lists his name as Emmanuel Charles McCarthy. And, um, he, oh, and I wanted to quote Obama too. This is the, this is my three sources for today is Lawrence Vance, which I really like Lawrence Vance's writing, uh, Emmanuel Charles McCarthy, which I'm not so familiar with, but I was really impressed by this article and our dear leader, Obama. I want to just quote him briefly. So uh, the first article was Voting is Violence, and the individual, Emmanuel Charles McCarthy, is, uh, is and, and, you know, as a Quaker, I don't go for a lot on titles and on, uh, you know, uh, different titles that people attach themselves and want to impress us with, but, but uh, uh, my reading of this situation is that Emmanuel Charles McCarthy is a friar, and he's a priest of the Eastern Rite, which is Byzantine Melkite of the Catholic Church, and he's formerly a lawyer and a university educator, and he's the founder and the original director of the Program for the Study and Practice of Nonviolent Conflict Resolution at the University of Notre Dame. He is also the co-founder, uh, along with Dorothy Day and others, of Pax Christi USA, and his work uh, can be accessed at the Center for Christian Nonviolence. Now, that's the uh, the footer from Lou Rockwell uh, and the reason I'm read that is because even if you're not impressed by his title, it's important to realize that what this guy is saying by its very nature is orthodox. So when I say the same thing, it's impossible for my words to be unorthodox if this guy is saying the same thing and he is practically the epitome of what is orthodox. And I know that outside of uh, Christianity, that word really doesn't mean all that much, or it might even be a negative to be called orthodox. But um, but I just wanted to emphasize that, that the things that I'm going to tell you today uh, are not radical, and they're not outside of real, uh, hmm... Yeah, okay, let's just drop it at that and keep moving. Okay, so he makes the argument that voting is violence. And I would I would play with the words a little bit different. I would 
I, you know, I would uh, argue with him on some of the terminology that he uses. But really, he stresses this argument that voting is violence. And he makes a really, really good argument in this, in this article. He doesn't really address the question of, does your vote actually matter? He doesn't really get into that at all. Um, or he doesn't really address it very thoroughly. Um, and, and I'll come back to that later, and I'll come back to his article a little bit later. You'll see what I mean. But first, um, one, of the, one of the things that he really says that really struck me in that article is, he says, the state may be many things, but at its, but at its root, it is a compulsory political organization that has acquired and maintains a monopoly of violence that it calls legitimate within a certain geographical area. Now, that's his definition for what the state is, and it's a very good definition. As a matter of fact, it's very similar to Barack Obama's definition. When Barack Obama was arguing that um, private security forces should not be used in the place of government troops on a battlefield, Barack Obama was making this argument, and he made the statement, Barack Obama said, uh, you're privatizing something that is essentially... Uh, oops, I'm, let me try that again. You are privatizing something that is what essentially sets a nation state apart, which is the monopoly on violence. You see, Obama was arguing that you shouldn't have private military forces on a battlefield. You should only have state military forces on a battlefield. And he's making that argument based on his assertion that the state itself is the monopoly on violence. And, of course, it's inferred he's talking about within a geographic area. And that, and that definition has been used over and over by scholars both supporting and rejecting government. That that's what, that's what the, the whole idea of government is, is a monopoly on violence within a geographical area. Now, I want to jump back to uh, LewRockwell.com. And Lawrence Vance's uh, article is called My View on Politics. Uh, Lawrence Vance, to, to give him equal due, Lauren, uh, I, I'll give him uh, you know, some of uh, the introduction like I did the other gentleman. Lawrence Vance is an author of uh, Christianity and War and Other Essays Against the Warfare State. Now, I haven't read that whole thing, but I've read some of the essays in it, and they're very good. He also is the author of The Revolution That Wasn't. And that is very good. I've read that. It's about the uh, the failure of the so-called Republican Revolution back in the uh, in the nineties. And he also wrote a very good book. It's called Rethinking the Good War. Now, it's not really a book. Both of these two, uh, the Revolution that wasn't and Rethinking the Good War, are less than a hundred pages. And uh, and I'll put links to them today. But uh, they're, you, they're, I highly recommend both of these. They're really good. They're cheap. They're like six bucks or something. And you can sit down a couple hours and just zim through it. And, and the great thing about, especially this one, Rethinking the Good War, the, the really good part about it is that it's one of those great things that you can have on your shelf. And when you're in the middle of a discussion with somebody and you're saying something that just sounds totally outlandish to them, specifically in regards to World War II. And they say, how in the world can you believe this? You just reach over to your bookshelf, you pull that little pamphlet out, that little book, little paperback book, and you just hand it to them and say, here, you can have this, read it. And it costs you $6, and you just gave them something that's worth a lot. Okay, and then he's got some other, uh, Lawrence Vance has another book that I can't even attempt to pronounce, uh, 
It's something about the King James Bible. And he's got his latest book is out called The War on Drugs is a War on Freedom. And I haven't read that yet, but it's on my list of things that I'd like to read. So anyway, in this article, My View of Politics, Lawrence Vance essentially, he explains how people have reacted to him over the years uh, and how they've rejected him out of their own ignorance. You know, um, this is kind of like, uh, he didn't really go into it in depth there. He just kind of covers it a little bit to just say, this is why I'm writing this article. But basically, he's he's laying out Bastiat's example where uh, someone says, you know, oh, if you're against that government action, you must be against the thing itself. It's this completely illogical leap that people make all the time when dealing with libertarians. So, for instance, the libertarian can say, um, you know, there shouldn't be government schools. There shouldn't be government interference in schooling. And so the uh, the idiot on the other side of the argument says, you must be against education, no, we're not against education. We're against the government interfering in the education. It's two different things altogether. Or a person might say, uh, you know, it's no, it's nobody's business. It's not the government's business if you grow and consume a particular plant. And the other person says, you must be pro-drugs. You must be for marijuana. You must be for people destroying their lives with drugs. No, that's not the point. The point is, it's not the government's business. And and people leap to this conclusion, and this is kind of what Lawrence Vance was talking about in his in the introduction to this article, that they, they misunderstand some simple thing based on their own ignorance, and then they leap to a, a conclusion that is completely outside of logic. Um, and then... Um, so Lawrence, uh, the way he lays out his, his uh, explanation in this article, he uses a series of quotes to explain his position. And I really like uh, this, this article at Lou Rockwell. I'll put a link on today's show notes. It's really worth taking a couple minutes and reading it. It's a really short article. And, you know, that's one of the wonderful things about Lawrence Vance is very often he's able to say really complex things in uh, in very compact ways makes it very simple and easy to understand I, I really like his writing anyway um so for instance he says that he agrees with uh lou rockwell and murray rothbard and hl minken and voltaire on the state and um i have to take almost everything lawrence vance says in this article i agree with but i have to uh you know and this is going to seem like i'm just nitpicking words but uh, but i really have to clarify a difference in the way i see uh this definition and the way lawrence vance and lou rockwell and murray rothbard and hl minken and voltaire and voltaire the way they looked at the state uh, is slightly different from me, and I really want to make this distinction because I think it's far more important than a lot of people realize. When I when I write the word uh, the state, if I'm referring to um, if I'm referring to a specific state like the state of Ohio or the or the nation state of the U.S. or the nation state of the U.K then I, I put that word state in a lowercase s, uh, much for the same reason that um, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien said that you should never capitalize the G in government. Um, so, so, uh, uh, so I put that s in a lowercase because 
Um, what we're really talking about here is we're talking about the people who work for the government and the people who um, who are involved in government and the things that government supposedly owns, like the buildings and the you know the tanks and the aircraft carriers, all of that stuff. I I I tend to not call it state. I tend to use two separate words here. I call those things government. All that stuff that you would designate with a lower s state, a lowercase s. Uh, I, I call that government. I don't call that state. I call all the physical manifestations that we see, um, the, the, you know, the dog catcher, the tax collector, the police, the, the aircraft carrier, the, the mountain carved into the faces of so-called founding fathers. All of that I call the government. But the state, generally when I refer to the state, I do so with a capital S, and I, and I refer to it that way because really the state is that mythical thing in your mind that makes government legitimate. And I really would like to draw the distinction between these two things. The physical government that we look at and that we see and that we vote for or we vote against or we want to tax us more or we want to tax us less, all of that is the government. But the state with a capital S and that's government with a lowercase g, by the way. But the state, with a capital S, is that God in people's mind that makes the government legitimate. It's that belief. It's the mystical belief that there's a thing called the state that somehow gives legitimacy to this thing we call the government. So, so government with a lowercase g, but state is like a god so i capitalize it it's an individual it's an entity it's it's almost a personality but it only exists in the minds of the believers so for that reason i capitalize the s in state and i refer to it um as a god that's believed in by many people okay now when i get back from the break i'm going to go a little further into some of this and uh, stick with me would you like to do something to support badquaker.com Here's how easy it is. If you're already going to buy something from Amazon, go to badquaker.com first. Click on any of the buttons for Amazon. Once at Amazon, shop like you normally would. You'll pay the same price for the things you buy from Amazon, but Amazon will give badquaker.com a tiny portion of that purchase. It's amazingly easy to shop at Amazon, it won't cost you any extra, and you'll be supporting badquaker.com. Thank you. Did you know author Taryn P. Lupo has a new novel out called One Nation Under Blood? When a rejuvenative blood technology is developed that pits the young against the old, the government must take firm steps to address the war of supply and demand brewing across generational lines. Blood is not the only thing bought and sold in this dystopian tale of technology, economics, and independence. Vampires are now very real, but we never expected them to wear our grandmother's best Sunday dress. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the break. Now, I was trying to distinguish the difference between using the uh, the lowercase g for government, the lowercase s for state, and the lowercase uh, and the capital s for uh, for state when you're referring to state being that imaginary thing that legitimizes government. And this is uh, this has caused some levels of confusion at times when I'm trying to speak to people because. Because I really draw a distinction between um, between the government, the actual physical outworkings, 
and the state, that mystical idea that, that people have the right to make up laws and enforce them on other people. Now, a, a different way of explaining this might be if we thought of the word democracy with a lowercase d and democracy with a capital D. Uh, you know, when the difference comes when it's, uh, when you say, okay, like there's eight people in this room and let's vote. What are we going to have? Pizza or chicken? And so, you know, five people vote for pizza and so that's it. So we're going to have pizza. Is everybody good with that? Yeah. Okay. So let's go get pizza. That's democracy. There's nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly fine. But when you have, uh, you know, 10 people in a room or set, let's, let's go with an odd number. Let's say you have nine people in the room. And let's say uh, five want pizza and four want chicken, and the five who want pizza turn to the four that want chicken, put a gun to their head and say, now pay for the pizza or we'll shoot you. You see, that's democracy in the big D. That's when you make this leap and you all of a sudden, out of pure faith, you make the assumption that the will of a group of people is good enough to dominate another group of people and use violence if necessary. That's the difference between democracy with a small, with a lowercase d, and democracy as the God democracy. Now, um, at this point, I want to leap away and talk about sacrifices for a second. Because really, it's important to understand the difference between the God, that is to say the myth that supports a God, and the priests who gather the sacrifices on behalf of that God. You see, the God can just be an imaginary thing that only exists in the minds of the believer. And I'm not talking about a specific God. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, a Christian God or a, a Muslim God or a Jewish God or, uh, or a Hindu God. I'm not talking like that. I'm talking about the vague sense. It could be Isis or it could be, uh, you know, Athena or it could be, uh, Zeus, it, it doesn't matter. The God exists in the mind of the believer, but the priest is the actual person who goes and gathers the sacrifice. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, um, the sacrifice, there would be a public display of the sacrifice where part of the sacrifice was publicly destroyed. It would be burned in a fire or something like that. Something would happen to destroy part of the sacrifice. If you were sacrificing wine, they would often pour the wine on the ground, or at least part of it, and that would be part of the sacrifice. But the other part that we don't see so much in movies and so forth, it's kind of skipped over, is the fact that the sacrifices actually fed the priests. So if a bull, let's say, was sacrificed, then it was put upon the, it was slaughtered and put upon the flames, but the flames didn't completely consume the bull. Most of the bull went to feed the priests. Only part of the bull uh, did the flames completely consume. And the and the theory the theory was, or the theology was, that the parts that the flame consumed, the god consumed. But the parts that the priests ate, they were partaking of their portion of the sacrifice. So the priests collected the sacrifice not only to give some of it to the god but the priests collected the sacrifice because that's what they lived off of now um 
Jumping back to Lawrence Vance's article, he says, uh, On taxes, I believe that taxation is theft. I believe with Frank Charteroff that the income tax is the root of all evil. Well, let me interrupt there for a second. Uh, no, I don't believe that. Um, income tax is evil, sure. But the root of all evil? Come on. Okay, let's get back to the article here. Maybe he's just being metaphorical. Anyway, he says, uh, but as long as we have taxes, I believe with J.B. Say that the best tax is the lightest. I therefore subscribe to the Rockwell rule when it comes to any tax uh, reform proposal. Does, does it reduce or eliminate the existing tax? And I believe that tax breaks, tax shelters, tax incentives, tax deductions, tax loopholes, tax exemptions, and tax credits are always good because they allow people to keep more of their money in their pocket and out of the hands of government. Now, I have a real problem with that. This position that Lawrence Vance takes here fails to recognize the real nature of the state, and not and state with a capital S. And it fails to understand the tendency of government, government with lowercase g, you see, tax breaks, tax shelters, tax incentives, tax deductions, tax loopholes, all those things that allow people to so-called keep more of their money in their pocket. Um, you have this effect, this Bastiat effect of that which is seen and that which is not seen. You see, you think you're keeping more away from the government when you take a tax deduction or a tax break or whatever. But in fact, always and in all times, the governments will always take the maximum amount that they can take. If they let you play little games with papers and shuffling things around and writing numbers on papers and pretending like, like, oh, but look, I have this or I have that, that's just all part of the illusion to convince you that they're not taking as much as they're taking. But all governments in all times will always take the maximum amount that they can take without revolution taking place. They walk this fine line where if they take too much, there's revolution. But they don't want to take anything less than right up to that point. So government always seeks to take as much as possible. And any tricks that, that the government may come up with that make you feel better about the way that they're taking it are that. They're just tricks. It's just a show. They mean nothing. So if the government gives you a tax shelter or gives you a tax deduction, they've given you nothing in the long run, they're still going to take the maximum amount that they can get away from taking, uh, get away with taking from you. That's what government does. That's the nature of the state, again with a capital S, is to support that. And it's the nature of government to act that out. The other thing to keep in mind as you're doing your taxes, by the way, uh, in the next few months when this becomes a reality, the thing to keep in mind that all real taxation hits the end consumer. In the long run, you'll always pay as much as you're willing to pay, even if, even if you don't see where they took it. So, and, and in the end, all taxation is paid by the end consumer. Now, I, I'm not going to go into a lot to explain that today, but I'm just asking you to really think it through. If you put a tax on a millionaire, what is he going to do? He's just going to pass that down through the levels of whatever it is that he does for a living. 
So, you know, if it costs him $10 more in tax, he'll just raise the cost of whatever it is that he sells by $10 over the, you know, over the course of everybody buying it. So if Exxon even is taxed more, uh, then they'll just pass that tax on. And ultimately, the end consumer pays 100% of all taxation. And you will pay as much as you can pay, as much as you're willing to pay, up to the point of where you're ready to revolt. And then the government will back down, unless it's clumsy, which it is sometimes. So then, um, so then this is uh, going back to Bastiat, seen and unseen. So even if you're not seeing uh, what's happening, you're still getting taxed by it. So when you think, oh, look, here's a good thing government did. They gave me this tax deduction. You're not seeing uh, the rest of the of the issue. You're not seeing the other half of the of the formulation. They're still taking it. It's just taking it out in a different way and makes you feel better about it. It's just part of the illusion. Now on voting, uh, Lawrence Vance quotes a bunch of people uh, and basically tries to make the point that your vote doesn't matter. But this is a contradiction to Rockwell's rule that that Lawrence Vance has already stated. See, if your vote doesn't matter then why should you support uh, lower taxes or tax exemptions or tax credits or tax shelter? Why should you support those things? How can you support those things if your vote doesn't matter? So we can have it one way or we can have the other way. Either your vote matters and you should vote for lower, lower taxes, or your vote doesn't matter. And then if it doesn't matter, why waste your time voting? So we have this contradiction here in Lawrence's um, article. Um, it also contradicts uh, Emmanuel Charles McCarthy's article. Um, you see, voting really does matter. Now, here it is the day before the vote in the U.S., and I'm saying this in all sincerity. Your vote does matter. It's critically important, but probably not in the way you think, and I'm going to explain that a little bit more. You know, dictators always understand how important the vote is. Hitler knew how important the vote was. Saddam Hussein um, had required votes and won with 100% or close to it. Uh, was very happy about that. They vote in North Korea. I did a whole, a whole thing on this uh, a few weeks back, I believe, or maybe a month or so back, talking about the different political parties in North Korea and the wrangling, the political wrangling that they do. Dictators know that your vote is critically important. Um, if it's not important, then why would North Korea be so concerned about voting? Why would have Saddam Hussein worried about it? Why would Hitler worry about it? Voting is critical to the existence of the modern state. And here's why, if you think about it. In the olden days, the blessing of the church was critical to the divine right of kings. People believed that the church represented God. And so if you rejected the king, you rejected God. The king had an excuse for his behavior. He was appointed by God. And we know that because the church officially sanctioned that king and said that he, he was there by God's will. So this is how the divine right of kings worked. People believed in God. People believed the church represented God. And, and the church then gave the, the blessing to the king. Therefore, the king represented God. And the king was ex excused for his behavior. Everything that was done in the name of the king must be good 
Otherwise, you're going against God. You see how that worked? Now, that didn't work forever. That worked for a period of time. And eventually, we moved away from that as a society. But today, the vote is the blessing of the people. You see, democracy has become the judge of good and evil. And we believe somehow that if, a, if, the, if the majority of people say this is a good law, then it must be a good law and we have to enforce it. If the majority of people say that that activity is bad, then that activity must be bad and we must, uh, we must do something about it. This is why we get silly laws like growing a particular plant is bad and we'll throw you in jail for years over growing that plant. That's how we come up with silly laws like that is because, well, that's what the people want. And how do we repeal a silly law like that? Well, we have to convince a majority of the people that that's bad and then it becomes bad. You see, that is the God of democracy with a capital D. That imaginary situation where a group of people get together and by the majority of their voice, they make law. That is the God of democracy. That is when democracy gets its capital D. When democracy becomes the judge of good and evil, democracy becomes the God. So when, when voting sanctions behavior, then this myth of the state, this myth, this God democracy, this provides the opportunity for people to act without the consequences of their actions. So this is why, this is why uh, a, a guy sitting at a desk in Nevada looking at a, a monitor flying a drone that's on the other side of the world this is why he can push a button and launch destruction onto a village or onto a onto a just a mud hut or onto a wedding party or a funeral party. This is why he can do such a a hideous thing. He can do this because what he's doing is sanctioned by this democracy, by this God, by the state, by the votes. The votes have sanctioned his actions. He can now act without consequence. He's not sinning. He's not murdering. He's not killing. He's just doing his job. People behave differently when there are no consequences to their actions. When those consequences are spread out over all those voters, then it's okay for them to do those things. They're just acting out the will of the people. The God, democracy, has spoken and they must obey. And there is an excuse even for the voter. There's a way to get out of this. You know, it's not my fault they're killing people in, in foreign countries. I voted against it. You see? It's not when, when good happens, hey, I voted. I'm, I'm part of that. See? When the economy's turning around, yeah, it's because I voted for that guy. But when things go bad, you know what? Don't blame me. I voted for this other guy. You see? Now, even the voter has an excuse. Even the voter has a way to excuse the behavior of the guy who pushes the button that kills the children. So does your vote matter? Well, in the long run, you can't produce good with your vote. In the long run, you can never produce good with your vote because all your vote is is an attempt to move government to your will. All acts of government are based on aggression. 
when you attempt to use government for your will, you're attempting to use aggression to accomplish what you want. Now, a different way of looking at this whole thing might be to look at it mathematically. And you say, well, math proves that your individual vote means nothing. You think of Nozak's uh, Tale of the Slave, where he says that your vote only matters if there's a tie, and there's never been a tie. Well, so your vote doesn't matter. Mathematically speaking, your vote doesn't matter, because there's never going to be a tie. And the other argument is, um, the vote's all fake anyway. The machines that they use to vote with, they're rigged. Um, the votes are rigged in every part. Think of how much uh, uh, fakery and how much fraud there was uh, during the uh, the Republican um, uh, the run up to the uh, Republican convention. The Republicans just blatantly and openly cheated. Ron Paul had you know crowds of five and seven and ten thousand people, and Mitt Romney would have twenty or fifty or a hundred people if he was lucky. So we know that the votes are fake. So the vote means nothing, right? Mathematically speaking, it means nothing. In practicality, it means nothing. The vote's fake. Even if it wasn't fake, it would mean nothing unless there's a tie, and there's never a tie. So your vote means nothing, right? But your vote does matter. I'm coming back to this again, and I'm going to say it again. Your vote is critical. Your vote does matter. But maybe for a different reason than what you're thinking. Stick with me. I'll be right back. BadQuaker.com uses HostGator as our web hosting service. It was fast and easy to get set up, and the support we receive is top-notch. They have helpful and friendly 24-7, 365 live technical support and a 99.9% uptime guarantee, and they have some of the best prices in the business. If you have a website, or if you want to have a website, check them out by going to BadQuaker.com and click on the button for HostGator. And thank you very much for supporting BadQuaker.com. Gun Training with the Non-Aggression Principle, Volume 1. Basic Handgun and Rifle with Jared Waltz. First rule of being alive is you own yourself. A groundbreaking approach to firearms and self-defense training. Beautifully filmed and easy-to-understand instructions make this one a must-have. Gun Training with the Non-Aggression Principle, Volume 1. New DVD from Michael W. Dean. Available on Amazon. Okay, thanks for coming back with me. So my question was, does your vote matter? Mathematically, we can prove that no, your vote never matters. Because there's never a tie. That's the only way your vote would matter. And going by... Um, Going by practicality, we know that they cheat. We know they cheat all the time. So your vote doesn't matter. But your vote does matter. Because your vote is an expression of your faith in democracy. If you didn't believe your vote could do something, you wouldn't bother going down there and voting. The fact that you go and vote is an absolute proof that you believe you can do something with your vote. After all, why would you take time out of your busy day and do this action if you actually believed that it was meaningless? Why would you do it? So your vote is absolutely important. It does matter because your vote is an expression of your faith in democracy with a capital D. 
Now, taxation, like I was talking about a minute ago, taxation is your sacrifice to the God democracy. Taxation, the, the priests collect it, and they live off of it, and they use it to further advance the faith. But taxation sometimes is voluntary and sometimes it's not. And much the same with the priests. Back in the old days, sometimes the, the, the sacrifice was voluntary. But if the priests didn't get enough sacrifice, they would go out through the countryside and they would make the, the sacrifice. Uh, you would make the sacrifice whether you wanted to or not. Trick or treat, that's where we get that phrase. The, the old priests going around at the harvest time and saying, you will either give us a treat or there will be a trick. That's where that actual phrase came from. So the priests would collect the sacrifice no matter if it was voluntary or not. So that's why I say taxation is your sacrifice to this God. Taxation is your sacrifice to the government. It's what you pay. It's what you give out, whether voluntarily or otherwise. It's what you give out that supports the physical existence of the government. If you don't provide your sacrifice, the priests will come and take it. But your vote is voluntary. You have to choose to vote. They're at this point in time in the United States. They're not making your vote. Your vote is voluntary. It's your choice. You have to do If you vote... You're doing it as an expression of faith that your vote is of some value. Because, again, if you didn't believe it was valuable, you wouldn't bother going down there and doing it. So your vote is then a voluntary act that you choose to do. Your vote doesn't matter to taxation. They're going to take the maximum amount that they can take away, no matter, no matter what you say about it. They always will, and they always have. So then, if your vote, practically speaking, your vote cannot affect whether or not you're taxed. It cannot give you tax breaks. Not in reality. It can make you feel better about your taxation, but it won't actually provide you a break in your taxes because they will always take the maximum that, that they can take. So then, what is what is your vote? If we can prove it's mathematically useless, and if we can prove that the vote is fake and that they don't really count them like the, like they say they do, and we can see this from the whole Ron Paul uh, uh, example, if your vote is of no value, then why should you vote, or why why does it matter when you do vote? And again, I'm going to say your vote does matter. Your vote is critical. So how is it? How is it that your vote is critical? Well, what is your vote? Your vote is a request to government. Your vote is a petition to government. It's an attempt to tell the government what you want. Whether it's successful or not is not my point. It's not successful. But it's your attempt. It's you saying, you know what, I have to try something. It's a, for some people, it's an act of desperation. There's nothing else I can do to influence this thing. So maybe I'll vote. And maybe... Maybe the government will listen to me. Maybe they'll lower my taxes. Maybe, please, they'll protect me from bad people. Please educate my children. This is what a vote is. A vote is an attempt to tell the government what you want. You petition the government when you vote. That's what you do. It's your own single, one-named petition that you hand to government, and you say, I, Ben Stone, 
request government to do this for me. That's what a vote is. And if taxation is your sacrifice to the God, democracy, and you may petition this God with your vote, then your vote is a prayer to your God, democracy. When you vote, you petition your Lord with prayer. When you vote, you petition your Lord with prayer. Your vote is a public proclamation that you are petitioning your Lord with prayer. The priests of this God will take the sacrifices, whether you're willing or not. But, your vote is your public proclamation of your faith in your God, democracy. Folks, for more on liberty, property, and the zero aggression principle, go to badquaker.com. Thank you for listening to me.